fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Now, who does that? We do. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Well, Dan, once again, you've proven yourself to be an analytical mastermind, and I've proven to myself that I should never doubt you, because I had my moments of doubts, but this is an amazing set of questions you've picked for the week, so I'm very excited to be here. Well, I hope I can live up to that, Denon. I mean, that's that's high praise, but also I have to remind you, you question me at your own peril, Denon. Uh, that is something that will serve you well as we move forward into this dark pit of despair that's going to be this episode. Uh, <laughs> but that is a weird way to transition into our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where do you fit into this dark pit of despair, and where are you broadcasting from this week, and is it that dark pit of despair? I, you know, Dan, unfortunately, I think it is that dark pit of despair. I'm in this very strange room. There's all, it seems like it's for some sort of occult ritual. There's this really creepy idol behind me. There's all these screens around me with th this woman on them. I don't know what's going on, Dan, and I really hope I, it's not something scary that is going to be dangerous. I think it's going to be, Ben, so you're going to need to brace yourself, but we're going to get to the bottom of it. Now, this is a show that is that is inspired by one of my favorite, one of the, my favorite series that I've seen recently, which is Archive 81, and this is really cool. There's going to be some spoilers in it. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert right off the top of the bat, because you, I would watch this show before you see this episode. We're going to get into some, some stuff here, including opening up a portal to another dimension. Now, we've talked about the high-tech version of this, but this show is going to be about the low-tech version of this. And to me, that was really cool, and I hope you guys are on board with that. Does that fit into the to the genius part of this, Denon? Oh, it definitely does. And and I, I really, really appreciated the, the low-tech version. But I will say, you know, just from a pure TV show experience, Dan, what I appreciated was the extreme tension I felt through the entire series. Um, it both, I felt like the acting, the filming, everything came together to make it incredibly suspenseful. And I appreciated the, the this is going to sound strange, the limited use of blood. Um, the, yes. <laughs> because you know me, Dan, I'm not into blood. Blood was important, but it wasn't overused by any stretch of the imagination, for sure. I mean, you can see behind me, if you're watching the YouTube version, uh, blood is very important uh, to the ritual here. Uh, but what about you, Ben? I mean, is blood, obviously it's not important in your inventions, but when you do science, um, do you ever think about blood considering your world domination plans? Well, blood is very important in my professional work because blood flow in the brain is everything. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So... But that is contained blood, thankfully, not blood coming out. You know, I'm much more about contained blood, blood staying in its, you know, natural containers that where it's supposed to be, and not like the out, skull, right? and not out and about on creepy idols like we're seeing uh, in your background, Dan. 
Right. No, that's that's very true. I, I, I just realized that it would be a big safety hazard if you somehow became a zombie. I think that that would be uh, that would be a conflict of interest in your current line of work. Um, but, you know, as the master of film and television, this show really appealed to me because right off the bat, what do we what we have here is is a gentleman who is an expert at restoring film and video, uh, you know, semi destroyed or just old. And, and he works at an archive and, you know, he. he really exploring this archaic technology is what this episode's about because it's quintessential to the uh, it's quintessential to this show in ways that we are going to show you are going to be they're definitely non-intuitive um, but I want to start by asking for you guys in the history uh, uh, of your life what is your favorite way to capture audio and video what's your favorite technology Denon I'm curious what you think well, clearly, for me, it has to be Super 8 um, video because it brings back fond memories of the two classic films I was a part of in high school, um, A Chemistry Carol and and Get, <laughs> and Get Smart, um, a version that was all based upon a spy in the cell for biology. So, um, yeah. you know, and, and I had one of my, you know, friend's favorite acting moments where he fell into a bush. Um, and he had, we had to do multiple takes, and his mom was very upset that we killed the bush. But most importantly, Dan, the reason I bring this up, it was, was the beginning of my special effects career. I actually was the one who had <laughs> read about scratching film to make lasers. Ah, and I went frame okay. by frame for the laser in a chemistry carol. Um, two films that apparently, <laughs> yeah. sadly, have been yeah. lost to time because these Super 8 tapes are somewhere in, uh, you know, in a mysterious, you probably garage sale in somebody's house, and we're never digitized. But that is my favorite medium: Super 8 film. Well, I was in a play called Computerized Christmas, so uh, <laughs> I love that we were both in these these crazy plays. What about you, Ben? What's your favorite piece of technology? And were you ever in a science based play uh, in in uh, elementary school? I, I can't remember being in any science based plays. Unfortunately, I, I wasn't quite the theater. Uh, Actor, I I was in, I was usually behind the scenes. I did tech, uh, running the shows more than I would uh, be in the shows. But you know, growing up, I remember we had this uh, tape camcorder that I I just enjoyed because it had lots of buttons on it, and it was you know it had the big red record button, which was always fun mm -hmm. to play with. Um, but honestly, for me, recording, I was a big user of our VCR. I got really good at programming the VCR to record <laughs> the shows I liked. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of yeah. that was kind of my big recording moment as it growing up. <laughs> I love that. That was such a quintessential key is is setting the VCR. I mean, I remember being people thinking I was a genius because I could set, set the VCR. <laughs> and I think back then you had to be. It was definitely on, I think, the Mensa application. Uh, right. Could you set your VCR? Um, but, you know, I, I just realized that my mom, when I was born, she recorded me on audio tape. I still have those tapes of, of me whining and crying and complaining, uh, even when I was a baby. I mean, you could really see my trajectory. Uh, <laughs> Uh, even when I was very young. And, you know, and my stepdad had an 8-track player. And to this day, I am fascinated with 8-tracks. It's such a weird technology that in some ways is really cool um, because you have all these 
songs playing essentially simultaneously on a piece of tape. Uh, and it's just it's just all the crazy things you can do with with, um, you know, with audio. And these are both audio, you know, audio things as well. But tape is just really interesting. But at the end of the day, what these things do, whether it's film, videotape or even digitizing, which we see all of those in this movie or in this this series, is that they're all it's all using energy. It's storage of energy. Um, let's talk about, you know, film first. You know, we see him, we see the main character, Danny, um, or I guess he's Dan. I don't know why I called him Danny, but but Dan is, is he's restoring old film, which is, you know, that uses chemistry to store energy. But let's talk about this. Let's talk quickly about restoration and how film works. Um, what is the science behind this, Denon? Well, I am always amazed about the restoration part because it, it, it really fascinates me and boggles my mind. But um, I, I think you're right. The first thing to understand is how the image is stored through chemistry. And there's kind of a fascinating thing that I've never realized uh, until watching this and thinking about this. It just never really solidified for me that film, like movies and such, the whole point is shining light through the film and looking at mm -hmm. the image on the screen, whereas pictures, right, that we look at are solid and you're looking at reflected light off a piece of paper. And I think right. that's an important thing to talk to people about. And this is why, you know, have the negatives and you have to process it and you always see People, you know, in the movies, you know, making right. the pictures out of the negatives with these chemical processes that you're really fixing pigments onto paper that reflect and absorb light in different ways. And when you're making the celluloid, you're making the light pass through in different ways. And this is why black and white was easier to begin with because you don't have to care about the wavelength. It's just the total amount of light. Yeah. And then you get color, you have to care about the wavelength. So the whole chemistry of what chemicals absorb what wavelengths, what chemicals reflect what wavelengths, um, it's just a whole fascinating field to me, Dan. So never mind the restoring, just making the first one I think is just cool physics. You know, Dan, you've brought up some things. I think I need to amend my earlier response. I never did audio recordings, but if we're talking about purely the visual capture medium, I, got, I took photography classes in middle school and high school where we still used real film and getting to play with all the levers and the reels and, you know, pouring chemicals and all that stuff and playing with the enlargers to to actually project your film onto the paper like that stuff is super cool and super fun to fun to use and then when we tried to do digital photography i thought it was super boring because i found <laughs> yeah i found digital editing to just not be nearly as fun as you know actually you know we have dodge and burn in in you know in in the tools where you like you know go over spot and you brighten it up or darken it yeah but that's based on the real holding a piece of paper in your enlarger and waving it around over a bright spot <laughs> while you're while you're actually exposing your paper because that's yeah. how you make an area not blow out. <laughs> so, you know, that was so cool. And so I just, you know, you're bringing up some great memories here for me, Dennis. Well, we, you know, we talked privately about manual transmissions versus an automatic transmission. And what you're yeah. saying there, Ben, is that some people like to have the hands on, right? Yeah. Uh, they, you like to be able to manipulate things actively. And that's a fun part of, you know, both creating the medium, but restoring. And it's in, in a lot of ways, a really key component to this show, because that's how Dan really relates to this story is 
tapes. He's he's taking these these broken and destroyed tapes and he's rebuilding them from scratch and then taking them and transferring them from videotape to digitizing. He's, he's very involved in that process, which I, I think is a key component here. Uh, but let's you know let's talk about videotape. You know, I grew up in an era of videotape, and it's kind of an amazing way to record an electromagnetic signal and you know it's it's got plastic and pieces of you know metal oxide uh let's talk about the 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 physical the physics of this first then and because videotape is is pretty strange and in some ways wondrous although archaic now well yeah no it's an interesting transition right we mentioned that the film you're doing chemistry to get you know sort of the right chemical pigments to absorb or reflect the light that you want and, you know, once you're going to magnetic tape, you're, you're adding a layer of um, translation, both in the recording mm -hmm. stage and the viewing stage, because you're taking the light, you're turning it into an electromagnetic signal that you're then imprinting in a magnetic storage. There's still a chemical there in, in, in the very real sense of, of chemistry, because you need the right, you know, sort of magnetic chemicals to, to you know, sort of preserve this signal correctly. Um, and then you need the right way to read it and play it back. And what I think fascinates me, because I am no good at restoring tape, you know, going back to Ben's comment about magnifying and looking at it, you know, the visual film when he's restoring it, um, you have, I think, uh, for me, a more intuitive understanding because you can see the image on the film if you magnify it and you can see where it's <laughs> right. damaged and figure out right. how to restore it. Restoring yeah. the magnetic tape, basically in the, in the show, we see him wipe it clean it and fix it and put it in. You you can't see the little magnetic elements that are there on the right. tape. So <laughs> right, I, yeah. I, I think restoring here maybe has a lot more to do with digital post-processing once you get it to play. But Ben, since you've admitted you're such an expert at this from your high school and junior <laughs> high training, um, right. what is he really doing with this magnetic tape when it comes to restoring? I'm going to put you on the spot there um, as our resident high school expert. Dan, I don't know about being a <laughs> high school expert, but what I will say is, you know, what's interesting about magnetic film is it's you have to really clean it because the ma machinery inside of these tape decks is very sensitive. Any of this dust, any of this smoke, any of this, you know, magnetic magic dust that's all over these <laughs> tapes, if it gets in that tape deck, it'll break it. And we even see that in the show that his first tape deck gets Right. Over the time, it gets flooded with this stuff and it gets broken. So the cleaning process is really the most important process because that's what will break your uh, your your tape player break. But it's also important that you're not getting particles on this film that's that are metallic because those can mess up the reading. And it kind of looks like this stuff that this mold or whatever. It's very shiny. Maybe there's some magnetic stuff going on there too. And so it's very important that you don't have that going in because that could mess up the reading of the tape. So you want it clean because you don't want to jam up your tape deck, but you also want to make sure that you're not going to have any excess metal, excess mag especially excess magnetic material that could mess up the reading of your tape. You know, what's amazing about that, Ben, is I totally forgotten. Uh, this has been a wonderful you sort of journey down memory lane. I totally forgot buying the cleaning tapes for my VHS, right? That oh, you'd yeah. have to put in yeah. and run when, when all your, when, you know, when all your favorite movies got fuzzy and it wasn't the tape that had gone bad. It was the VHS player 
that just got dirty. And, you know, I couldn't really afford a new one back in those days. So I had to run the cleaner instead. Well, people didn't replace it just because it got dirty, you know, and all those medical particles are coming out on the heads. And that's what's clogging everything up because that's what reads the electromagnetic signal. But the important thing here is that, you know, we're talking about different medium and, and you know, the, the storage of energy. And, you know, what he's doing here is he's restoring this electromagnetic tape and he's digitizing it, right? He's turning it into a computer signal, which at its core is really the true form of energy storage, right? I mean, at least in my mind, the chemical, they're all forms of it. But in in a lot of ways, this is really taking an electromagnetic signal and turning it into a digital signal and storing it purely electronically. Um, Is that right? And is there, what is the switch there? Because, and I I wanna add this on top there. I'm gonna ask you first, Denon. This is the only form that does not degrade. And I think that's important. Film degrades, electromagnetic tape degrades. But when you have a digitized version, it doesn't degrade. It's just ones and zeros. How does all of that change the energy storage and make that a much different um, way to really see this and view this image? Well, you know, first of all, Dan, I'm going to minorly correct you there. Um, It does still degrade digitally just over a very, very long time or in different ways, because you know it is quote just ones and zeros, um, but it's ones and zeros because you actually have a physical device sitting there, um, whether it's magnetic or whatever you know the various technology for your storage device is, and there is something sitting there that has to be in a state of on or off that will eventually um, lose its on and offness. But something you just said, <laughs> it'll that, lose that's its a real on thing. and offness. Is it that, will is lose that its on and offness. St- stated perfectly. <laughs> yeah. But I want, you know, this is going to be a little fuzzy here. Um, some of my colleagues may complain about this, but you know, something I just realized is there's an interesting, wonderful transition that this movie does highlight that you just re- alluded to. When we go from film, film to me is like the perfect ideal analog medium of making images, right? Because it really is, you know, exactly a a small version of what the whole world is, right? It's just Mm -hmm. chemicals that absorb and reflect different wavelengths in a structure. You magnify it up. The magnetic version is like, I'm going to coin a phrase. It's analog digital, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is. Right. It's, it's usually magnetism, which, as you know, we, we know is the north and south pole that's oriented some way. It's not quite purely digital because the little magnetic pieces are still sitting in a physical medium that they can be a little bit off, not quite up and down or left and right. So it's still got that analog. You can get the hiss and the fuzz and all that. And then you're in the computer, which is purely digital. And you're right. There's sort of a cleanliness to it, Dan, that makes it longer lasting. And it's kind of that purer storage medium. Um, but that's why those, you know, real audiophiles, they don't always like it. They like that record for that little bit of, you know, extra oomph the analog gives you. So there's there's a whole, whole, we can have a whole, you know, six-hour debate on this, Dan. But I've kept it down to a mere six minutes, my answer. <laughs> no, that was that was brilliant. Um, but it, it, it's it's an interpretation is what you're saying. You're going from pure film and, and video is an interpretation and then digital is an interpretation of that interpretation, really, right? I love it. That's a, that's a that's a six second way to say my six minute answer. That could have been six hours. <laughs> I think though, what's really interesting there is is the magnetic tape. Sometimes it's an analog uh, magnetic tape, which is what we see with you know old right. VHS and things like that. But more modern tape, you know, we have 
you know, people talk about backing up to tape. It's literally a magnetic tape still, but now instead of storing an analog image like VHSs did, it's storing the digital ones and zeros. It's encoded now. And so there's this kind of weird mix of magnetic technology still where like hard drives, the spinning hard drives, if you still have them, you know, those are ones and zeros on a glass or metal platter with magnetic material. And but it's it's now been encoded to ones and zeros, which is more stable. You don't have to worry about a slight shift of the magnetism because you'll still probably read a one the correct zero or one. Whereas on a VHS, that's where it goes fuzzy because all of a sudden your magnets misalign a little bit and your uh, analog signal is a little off. Yeah, I mean, and those are important. As we're, this will all become important for you listening at home. This is going to become very important to this ritual we see at the end. But before we get to that point, I just very want to quickly. I'm going to give us hopefully a six sixty second um, <laughs> a tribute to a piece of technology in this show that I, I was just blown away by, and that's the Pixel Vision PXL 2000. This was a toy in the in the 70s, and it was it came out in 1987, and it was it was. It was a video recorder that could record video on an audio tape. Uh, it's just, it's an ingenious piece of technology that really, and this is why I love it, and, and I want to go around the horn really quickly and see what you guys think. What I love about it is it's really maximizing a technology. It's taking it's maximizing the audio cassette tape into a video cassette where you can capture a video image. Now, this is not at all, and it's in this show, and it takes, you know, plays a vital role. But you know, when it comes to actual video recording, this is not going to go down in the annals of history as one of the great recording devices. But I think, you know, we talked about in a previous episode maximizing your power. You know, uh, and I think Penance, had she created this from the nevers uh, and saw where the video went, I would be impressed with this maximizing of the potential of audio tape. Uh, what do you think about that, Denon? You know, for me, what I really love about it is this idea that it shows the magnetic medium of the tape is not the relevant thing that makes it video or audio. It's the translating mechanism of how mm -hmm. you encode and how you read back. Um, and that's something I think we often forget. We think there's an actual image on the tape or there's an actual music on the tape. And all that's on the tape is a random series of magnetism that with the wrong encoding or decoding device, you don't get what you recorded. Um, so that's what I think is clever about it. It does go a little bit to the density and how you design it. Obviously, audio tapes more designed just to store music, which we know takes less memory than video and so on. But there's nothing fundamental about it as audio tape. And that's what I love. It gets to the heart of the physics, Dan. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it, well, it just goes to show the the flexibility of magnetic tape that can record, you know, technically analog signals. You know, if you just encode your video and analog, which is what TV signals are, which is what the camera generates, you can record them on this magnetic tape, even though it wasn't necessarily designed for that, because it's just an analog signal going onto the magnetic tape that can record an analog signal. Of course it'll work. And it's, and it took, it takes like a very clever person to go, wow, these, these audio tapes, they're everywhere. They're cheap. And we can make a fun toy out of this thing and people don't have to buy gigantic VHS cassettes. Uh, and so now a kid can have a camera that's properly sized for them. I, it was really, it was, I, I don't know, I just, I'd never heard of it before. I, I loved it. But let's talk about what are we building up to? What Guys, what are we talking about all this film and video for? What's wrong with us? Well, it is so vital 
to the summoning, uh, this occult ritual that's the culmination of this television series. Um, because, you know, we see the first ritual is filmed. It's filmed. It's put on film. The second ceremony seems to gain power when they play that film while performing the second ceremony. And they're also recording it. And then the third ceremony uses recordings to gain power as well. This, I just thought, was so interesting because... You know, when we're talking about this ritual, we're talking about an analog way to open up another dimension. And in some ways, there's this cool little recipe that that we're going to to talk about here uh, that results in the opening of a portal. Um, that's a very low tech way to do that. Let's. I want to get your thoughts on this first before I run down this list of what it took and what's responsible and what is vital to opening this portal. Uh, then, what was your what were your first thoughts when you when you saw this ritual in its function and when it's happening? Well, you know, the interesting thing about these portals from my perspective, Dan, and my first thoughts are, you know, on the one hand, we we know that there is likely to be some strange structure to space and time, that this idea of alternate dimensions may or may not be crazy. People can look up what's called D-brain, B-R-A-N-E, the short for membrane theories and other sort of modern string theories that try to explain how gravity and quantum mechanics can come together. And you end up with these parallel dimensions. And we've talked about it before in other shows and such. And what fascinates me is once you realize there might be another dimension and you don't have any of the physics really understood yet about how it works and how we get there, there is this interesting question of, okay, what would it take to open up a connection to another dimension? And what this ritual shows at its core is that people tend to go to the two things we know, electricity and magnetism, i.e. light, hence the film and all of that, mm -hmm. and the other major source of energy, sound, which is plays a key role in this, as we'll go right. to. So right. you, we really think of these vibrations, whether they're sound vibrations or electromagnetic wave vibrations, as the way to connect and open to these other dimensions. And so it's probably ironically not going to be either of those because most of the physics has to do with gravity. And until we figure out how to manipulate and use gravity, we're not going to be opening portals. So that's just the bad news for our audience. <laughs> but, sure. yeah. you know, the good news is it's really kind of cool. I like your way, the way you're approaching this, to think about, okay, well, if you're going to make sound and electricity and magnetism as the way to connect, what is the low-tech person's version of this? So I, I'm very excited to go through these elements. That's my gut initial reaction to this, Dan. Well, I've, I think what's important, though, is you're forgetting the third form of energy, blood. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's energy in the blood. I always forget blood, Ben. I do you, not you know, think of blood. There's oxygenated <laughs> yeah. blood cells. They have energy, too. Mm -hmm. And so you have to think about, you know, is there something perhaps going on with the, the idol getting the blood on it that it's absorbing the energy from the blood and therefore you know, that's powering up the idol somehow to also help open this portal. It's a great point. Now, because if you can see behind me, you know, the blood is, plays a vital issue. And it, if that deity, that, that, well, it's not a deity, but that, that idol is absorbing that energy, then it may be, maybe it's transferring it into some other form of energy that it's, that's, that's crucial to this, to this, uh, to this ritual. But let's quickly run down what they use in this show. They require a rock from a very special comet that's flying overhead. Uh, the statue in the form of a deity where the blood actually goes against uh, gravity. It changes the laws of physics around it. Uh, we can talk about that in a second. It requires a very specific blood from a certain lineage of person, uh, a human sacrifice 
uh, is required for a demonic possession. They chant in a very specific language and cadence, which is, you know, that's meditation. That's getting your mind, body into a very specific state. That's important. There's two tuning forks, which, you know, we learn that's the key. They literally say that's the key uh, to opening this dimension is the frequency. Frequency is very important. And, you know, you reminded me of this, Ben, I forgot, but there's a psychedelic mold that's involved as well, uh, which again, mind, body states. So I don't, I don't want to, while I'm saying this, you know, it, it, I don't want to say that this is all in their head. I think there's really something real going on here. But this combination in this order, uh, along with playing the videotapes uh, and, and, and film, seems to be just the right recipe into opening a portal. Um, now, what do you think about that right recipe? Because that's my argument, is that this recipe in this order is required. But I'm curious if you guys think that that's true, or are there pieces of this that are more vital than others into making this happen? Denon, I'm curious what you think. So very quickly, uh, short answer, I, I have some concerns about all the elements being required. But when you just think about the physics of controlling energy, there's a few very fun pieces here. First of all, putting the um, particle dust, the psychedelic mold, into the walls, if that is actually more metallic, as Ben alluded to earlier, you could be setting up a standing wave chamber. We know if you want to do something really cool, um, like your microwave basically sets up standing waves because of the structure of the box, right? Your box matters for the shape of the electromagnetism that you make inside the box. The other thing is, you know, blood, I always wondered why would blood be part of rituals, but we know blood has hemoglobin and you have iron in your blood to control your oxygen, oxygen levels. Um, I almost, um, I tried to say <laughs> oxygenation and I can't. So that, oxygen levels. That's my levels. technique, Dan, and that's my technique. Just go with a different word. That's what I do. Right. But, but there is iron. And so you're yep. getting some magnetic shaping in the in the statue. Now, I don't think it actually flows against the laws of physics. I just think you're filling up spots and you're getting pressure. I mean, we can make water go uphill all the time. So, Dan, that one, I loved your drama around it, but I, I'm not quite buying it. <laughs> um, Some would say melodrama, but yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. You've got sound waves, always very interesting, making standing waves. Um, You've got the light pieces. Here's where I'm a little concerned about are all the elements really valid in this ritual? I always question the fact that one, on, on my TV I watched with subtitles just to make sure I didn't miss anything. And it said, speaking in ancient language when they're reading the, 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 the stuff from the book. I don't, we don't know how any ancient language was pronounced. So like those sound words really can't be that relevant. And the random switches to English in the ritual really bothered me because of course when it was written. So I think the speaking part is the one I question the most as being relevant um, okay. to the actual ritual. Um, but it is interesting how they bring in elements that all do have to do with shaping energy in a particular way. So that that's my, my gut reaction to it is mostly, Dan, I'm probably with you mostly, but I do feel some of these elements could be left out safely. Well, speaking is a form of energy. Uh, you know, that's important. You're saying it properly is, is frequency. Our voices are energy. Oh, yeah. Frequency no, I just pitch. can't imagine they're getting any of it right going between ancient language and English. That's no, all I'm it's, saying. It's true. But what I'm saying is maybe the key component is that meditative state and it's getting your brain into the right space. And the words aren't necessarily important. Maybe the end results are. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Well, I think... I think it's important that if if there's truly a frequency thing going on here, you do need to say the right things, but it's not just the right things. It, it would also be the right pitch. So mm -hmm. clearly all these people must have perfect pitch uh, in their chanting. You know, they're, they're hitting the right 
the right note because that'll be critical to making this work properly, especially if it's a standing wave sort of thing. And that's also potentially why the room has to be the same size every time because if if the room's not the same size, the standing waves aren't going to work with the right at the right frequency. So there's a lot of setup here. Now, the one I question is the sacrifice thing. I think the sacrifice is only necessary if you're trying to capture the demon thing coming back in the world. Just open the portal, it seems, the sacrifice isn't necessary. And so that makes sense to me, because how are you going to make a sacrifice repeatable in any way? It's a different person. It's a different size. You know, we, we see that in the various rituals. The person's sacrifice is not the right, is not the same size every, both times. So I'm going to go with the sacrifice is not part of the portal opening itself. Okay. I mean, I can be on board with that, but you know, in some ways, maybe that's again, the, the, the mind state, you know, the, the fever pitch that this, that this crescendo crescendo, I'm pulling a denim, the crescendo goes to, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, what, what here's what I, here's my comparison. Okay. I, I, I mm-hmm. take turmeric and turmeric is as a lot of anti-cancer and very healthy properties. And I, you know, take pure powdered turmeric and I've eaten raw turmeric in the past. Now, through through testing in a science in a lab, people have found that there is a very specific vital part of turmeric that you can just take and that will give you most of the benefits of, you know, what turmeric is. You don't have to have all the other stuff. Now, I say that's that's bull. I think you need all of it. Turmeric evolved in a certain way and has a certain potency because of all the other elements working in concert with each other to really create that desired effect. And I think that metaphor holds up here. And I think all of these things in the right doses, in their proper order, uh, together, working together are what create this analog creation of a portal to another dimension. And without any piece of this, I think the whole ritual fails. That's my argument. Uh, what say you, Denon? Well, first of all, that uh, is hopeful because um, if you're trying to prevent the demon from actually coming in, um, we could not figure out watching it, my daughter and I, why they didn't just ever smash the statue. Because if you need all the pieces, smash the statue, <laughs> ritual done, demon doesn't come into the world. Seemed an obvious way to go. Um, often forgotten. Now, there is that slight nervousness that the statue is where the demon is confined and smashing the statue releases Mm. the demon. But of course, then that would have been the ritual. The ritual would have been to smash the demon. So, um, you know, if you need every piece in the exact right place, um, then that's good for those of us trying to prevent demons coming into the world. I think I think your analogy holds in many cases. I think the only challenge here, Dan, is not everything needs all the pieces to come together, right? So there are times where you're exactly right. It's all the chemicals working together. We know about catalysts and things like that that are critical. A chemical can't have its effect without the catalyst. So there are lots of times where it all comes together. There are other times, though, where it looks like you need all of it because you don't have enough information. And if you pull out the one key thing, you're done. And one of my favorite series of books, um, the wizards at one point make that joke. Somebody's like, well, how are you going to cast that spell? You don't have these 8,000 elements. And the wizard's like, well, that's only really necessary if you don't know what you're doing. You can actually do the spell with a single feather, right? (laughs) And so, (laughs) you know, it it really does come down to, I think, your skill level at times and, and how you're making the elements work together. So there's a difference between necessary and helpful and just confused. You don't know which element is key, so you do them all to be safe. Um, So 
it, it's really a, a murky waters. And when the when they do the final one, you know, I, I feel like the the witch is she's just like, look, they didn't have the right tuning fork. I have the history. I know how to do it. Let's just let's just do it. But yeah, because there wasn't a whole lot of chanting when she did it. You know, um, maybe you could argue they were in the TV screens. I don't know. But she really pulls it off with minimalist effort. But, you know, she's also super cool. So you got that going for it. You could be entering into superstition ter- territory where you have someone who hits a home run uh, with the same socks on and they just keep wearing those socks in the hopes that they'll exactly. get a home run. Yeah. I mean, Dan, so then, you I, know, once again, saying it much more concisely than I did. Thank you. <laughs> 60 <laughs> mi- six minutes to 60 seconds. That's my superpower. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Ben? What do you think about this? The necessity of each item? Well, I, th- I think what's important there is we see the true expert at the end, right? The the woman, she knows how the ritual actually works. So she's able to do it with much less of the materials. And again, though, she's also not trying to summon the demon. So she's technically doing a different ritual. She's only opening the portal. So maybe the chanting is about, you know, attracting the demon. It's not about the portal. Maybe that's so to get him listening, to get him excited to come through the portal. It's not about opening the portal itself. You know, it's hard to truly know what everybody's doing when they're trying to do different things. You know, that's, that's science, right? We're, we're not controlling for the, all the, the same vectors here. But I do like the fact that they do do the ritual at least twice, mm-hmm. right, to get the demon and three times to open the portal because you got to open the portal for the demon to come through. So it's one of the most scientifically presented um, mystical opening of portals in film because of the multiple shots at it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I want to make sure we connect here, otherwise we're going to look like a bunch of dopes, is how important though that film and and video was to opening the portal. It seems to, both the film and and the first ritual, the video recording of it in the second ritual and the video monitors, as you can see behind Ben, uh, really showing, you know, it's that captured power, I feel like, in those video, audio video images that helps give it that boost to really, to really finally perfect the ritual. Uh, that's the argument I think that we're making is that that, that captured vid- audio video element is vital, crucial to the ritual. Um, is that still true? Is that still a good connect there, Denon? Oh, I think it is. I would like to just correct one thing you said, Dan. Um, we would never look like dopes even if we didn't connect. We are just too brilliant to achieve that. Uh, <laughs> agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. <laughs> but I, I do think, you know, in this sort of discussion of energy, what we forget is that the projection is the energy coming back into the world around us. And so those video screens actually are sending out light with a particular signal and a particular set of um features as well as sending out audio. And that is the interesting thing about this ritual. At its heart, it is both um, electromagnetic effects as well as audio effects. You know, in traditional sort of mystical rituals where you're doing stuff, it's almost all audio and physical, not the electromagnetic spectrum. And I thought that was interesting that at the heart of this movie and at the heart of this ritual was adding the electromagnetic spectrum and the monitors at the end allow us to also connect back to the comet because those mm-hmm. monitors are built out of the metallic element that came from the comet. So they threw in that other material piece as well. So I think you're totally right, Dan. This is why we had to explain completely for our audience video technology at the beginning because the fundamental question here is how do you make a ritual to open a portal to another dimension using analog tech? And the answer is use video. Right. <laughs> and in lesser extent, film, I guess, as well. Yeah. Well, I also have to then question the first first time, 
when they didn't have any video, you know, it, it, it seems like the video itself isn't necessary because they, they clearly didn't have it the first time they opened the portal. So there's, there's something else going on there and you don't need the video, but the video gives the power in the final one. And I suppose is replacing the people who were present for all the other ritual. I'm going to agree to disagree on that, um, okay. Ben, only in the fact that they were filming the original one. So True. I would argue that the video is uh, bi-directional. It doesn't have oh. to be shown. It could be received. But the act hmm. of having video around and electromagnetic effects in the room was key. And so if they weren't filming it. So it does raise the question how anyone could have um, summoned this demon before we invented film. But I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stand by my answer <laughs> and say it's critical. <laughs> Well, maybe yeah. they didn't. <laughs> maybe that was the first time. We don't know for sure. But it, it also, you know, the other thing to think about is, you know, we've all, it's, all, it's been established that time is weird for the demon. So maybe, he, you know, on the other side, you know, there's always video. And so <laughs> it works out that way. Yeah, there are very interesting properties in this other dimension, uh, which, which are kind of interesting. But I think... I think we've really kind of encapsulated how to open a portal using low-tech means. Uh, it just requires, you know, a, a very rare a metal psychedelic mold and your ability to cut someone's throat open and take their blood and pour it on, on a cement thing. If you can get past all of that and you're able to, to, you know, to do that, I think you can really bring a demon into this world. I think that's the conclusion we've come to. You guys can agree with that, right? I, I think that is right, Dan. At, at its heart, that's where yeah, we are. You, you nailed it, Dan. Like, thank you. All right. <laughs> So, well, if we've missed anything, though, I mean, this is these are advanced rituals. There's a possibility to miss anything. Um, this is the place where we can catch ourselves, and that's our errors, additions, and omissions section. Things we want to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about Archive 81, film, video, or demons that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? So, Dan, there's actually like three quick things here that I really want to go into that I was reminded of by this. Number one, how cool I thought I was when I figured out how to fix cassette tapes that got caught in a cassette player. I mm -hmm. was the master of getting the tape out without breaking it, rewinding it with that pencil. I felt like a super engineer. The other <laughs> thing that amazed me, I never thought I would be able to watch an entire TV show that was mostly about repairing tape. So that was super right. cool. You think it's really kind of like this boring idea yet. Watching yeah, that guy great. repair the tape, I don't think I've been that tense in that long. And that brings me to number three. We've just proven here you can make an entire podcast about videotape <laughs> and make it super <laughs> exciting simply yeah. by adding a ritual summary of a demon. So, yeah, you know, really yeah. it all comes together for me. Um, if I had only known the power I had in my hands when I was repairing tape to summon demons, I would have thought I was even cooler. Uh, who knows the deals you would have made with the devil uh, where you'd be uh, right now if we, you had that. Luckily, you didn't. We superhero, not a supervillain, Den, and we say it at the end of every episode. You took the right path. You were an example. Uh, what about you, uh, Ben? Is there anything about this show that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about? Well, first, I got to comment a little bit on Den, the, you know, fixing the tape with the pencil. What I really wonder is, was it intentional that pencils are the, are the right size to manually wind tapes? Like, how did how did we end up in that situation? Because I I remember as a kid being able to rewind my audio cassettes faster with a pencil than my stereo could, and so I would rewind them manually because the rewind function on the cassette was horrible and slow. Uh, but the other thing I I really want to think about is the really trippy nature of seeing the demon come out of the TV screens during 
you know, while Dan is, you know, restoring the tape, the demon like tries to come out and he ends up smashing all the TVs. And I have to wonder, is he actually hallucinating or were just the TVs alone enough for the portal for just the demon there? You know, that's something that fascinates me because then is the ritual necessary at all? Or is he just, you know, hopped up on this hallucinatory mold stuff at this point? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think that there's a lot of strange things that happen in this show where you wonder, is it reality? Is it in their head? Is it on film? Uh, there, There is a, an unknown, right? Like there's a parts unknown kind of element to, to where things came from. Um, for me, you know, there were a couple things. I mean, obviously I love that Pixel PXL 2000. Uh, that was great. We talked about that briefly. Um, I have to say being alone in that I don't even want to call it a house that like that compound. compound. Yeah. <laughs> that compound where, where Dan's doing all of this restoration, uh, especially when he goes down and finds blood in the fridge. Uh, that's not a place I'd want to stay because I don't want my <laughs> blood ending up in that fridge. Uh, so that's, that's number two. And there's all these fun little Easter egg VHS tapes everywhere and board games, which I thought was kind of fun. It reminded me of my childhood, uh, but it's, you know, it, there's just a lot of fun things. This is just, this is a great series. I mean, I, I was hooked on this for, from the beginning, but is there anything that we missed either about film, videotape, summoning a demon, or psychedelic mold? We're easy to get hold of. You can find the show on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT, but you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael, and they can find me on Facebook. You stick in a prof at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you want to get in touch with the show via email, easy to do, questions at FGGBT.com. And while you listen to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure to rate and review and double check that you're subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Remember, you want to make the right choice. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. 
you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening